Matthew 16, sorry, Matthew 16, reading from verse 1. The demand for a sign. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today, it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. Amen. I wonder if you are the kind of person who looks for signs in things. I guess we all do that to to some extent or or another, don't we? It's well known here in West Kilbride, for example, that when we look over to Aaron and we can't see it, it's raining. But we know that if we can see Aaron, then no doubt it will rain soon. That's true, isn't it? We know, for example, if the cows are lying down in the field, what does that mean? It's going to rain. It's going to rain. And we know, as Jesus refers to here, the red sky at night is shepherd's delight. I've known that shepherd's delight could be sailor's delight. But red sky in the morning is shepherd's morning. We look for signs, don't we? Signs of the weather, signs of the the changing seasons, don't we? We're we're desperate for signs of spring. Oh, it's been dark nights, miserable, snow, winter. We're going to get there, folks. We're going to get there to spring, aren't we? Sometimes in the complexity of life, we look for signs to guide us as a kind of assurance that we are going in the right direction in our life. We look for signs, don't we, as to to whether we should go for that job or or move home or pursue that relationship with that person. Of course, we have to be careful, don't we, as well, when we're looking for signs. And we have to be discerning, too. In the Alpha Course videos, Nicky Gumbel tells a brilliant story about a Cockney man who couldn't decide between either a gorgeous blonde lady... And Maria, who was an equally gorgeous brunette. And the indecision worried him so much that he decided he'd better go to church. And so he went into a church and he prayed and he asked God for a sign. And he said, God, do you want me to have either or do you want me to have Maria? And when he opened his eyes on the wall, this is what he saw. (laughs) Have Maria. It's a brilliant story. So we all look for signs, don't we, to a greater or a lesser extent. But we have to be discerning when it comes to signs. Now, signs are really important, aren't they? We'd get lost if we went on a journey and there were, there were no signposts. It's really frustrating if you go somewhere, isn't there, 
isn't it? And, there, and there's no signpost or no road with signs. And we think, well, where am I? How do I find uh, this place? It'd be difficult to navigate on a journey if there were no road signs. And similarly, life can be difficult to navigate without guidance and signs. Now, today we find ourselves back uh, in Matthew's Gospel. We started this series, as I said earlier, a couple of years ago. And we were last in Matthew's Gospel in the early part of last year, before Easter. Now, the Gospels are, of course, there to tell us about the life of Jesus. And each Gospel, though it has a slightly different emphasis, asks its readers to think through all Jesus did and all that Jesus taught. And to ask themselves the question, who is Jesus? What does all he said and did point towards him being? You see, there's a purpose behind these Gospels. They they are trying to tell you something about this man, Jesus. That he might not just be a man, but more than a man. And Matthew chapter 16, where we pick up uh, the Gospel from today, is really important in this respect as people grasp and grapple with the signs that Jesus has given to them and as they ask really important questions about his identity. Now to give you some context here because I realize it's difficult for us to to cast our mind back at nine months or so. Remember in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus did the amazing feeding miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. And this was a sign to the Jews that Jesus is the King of the Jews, that he truly is the Messiah. But then in Matthew 15, just the chapter before, the one we're looking at today, we see Jesus ministering to the Gentiles, perhaps surprisingly. He ministers first of all to a Canaanite woman, and then there is the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. Now, we we thought at the time, you know, why, you know, just done 5,000, why now do 4,000? Well, there's a particular reason for that. Because in Matthew 15, we see, once the people are fed, that they praise the God of Israel, which shows that this is a predominantly Gentile crowd. And so, the kind of picture that we're being given here is that this Jesus isn't just for Israel, isn't just for the Jews, he is for the Gentiles, and he is going to be for the whole world. Now after he's fed the 4,000, Jesus then makes his way with the disciples in a boat over the Sea of Galilee to the vicinity of Magadan. And so he makes his way back to the the west coast of the Sea of Galilee, eh, back to a, a Jewish area. And it's here in Magadan that the Pharisees and Sadducees come to test him. They come to test Jesus. Now the fact that the Pharisees and Sadducees have approached Jesus together as a united front is quite telling, isn't it? Really. Because these were two different groups. Yes, they worked together in the Sanhedrin, but they were different groups with different emphasis and yet united and trying to test Jesus and trying to, to catch him out. And the word test here is actually the same word as is used of the devil when Jesus is tested in the desert. Remember that? Right at the beginning of his ministry? 
And so these Sadducees and Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they ask him for a sign from heaven. Now, back in chapter 12, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, probably the Sadducees as well, have already asked for a sign. And at that point in chapter 12, Jesus refuses the request. And just as in chapter 12, Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. Now we'll get to the sign of Jonah in a minute or two, but I want to first of all think, help us to think about what the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to do here. And then to think about Jesus' response. You see, in many ways it's strange, isn't it? That the Pharisees and Sadducees are asking Jesus for a sign. Because if you know anything about the gospel, we're quite far through the gospel at this point. Jesus has been going around teaching and teaching with authority. He's been doing all kinds of miracles. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. And at least some of these Pharisees or Sadducees, they must have been present. Or at the very least, they must have heard eyewitness accounts of of what Jesus had been doing. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been found in this place in Magadha. They wouldn't have come up, some of them from Jerusalem, if they didn't know anything about Jesus. They'd come up because they'd heard something about Jesus. They'd probably seen some of these miracles. And yet here they are, before Jesus, and asking him for a sign. It's strange, isn't it? But it's as if they think that Jesus is some puppet who should just do their bidding. And note here, it's a, it's a sign from heaven. It's like they want a, a sign in the sky. Jesus is the Messiah. Or a lightning bolt from heaven. Or something of that ilk. But Jesus sees through them. And he doesn't play their game. He isn't going to do miracles on demand. He isn't going to be tempted into doing so. Or coerced into doing so. Now, as we think about this passage today, we sometimes have to be careful that we don't work in the same way as the Pharisees and Sadducees by saying in our hearts, if only I had a sign from God, then I would truly believe. Because has God not given you enough already? You see, God says in his word, if you seek him, you will find him. If you ask, the door will be opened. And the fact is that the Pharisees and Sadducees, they weren't really interested in the truth. All they were interested in was tricking Jesus. Because their eyes were blind to who Jesus truly was. And they didn't truly want to give him the glory. You see, it's true, isn't it, that sometimes we wish family members or or friends would would just see a sign, a healing, a sign from heaven, and that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus. But sadly, the truth is, even sometimes, when people have experienced the goodness of God, they haven't then gone on to believe. That's a really strange thing, isn't it? But it's true. And we need to pray 
If we're concerned about our family and our friends and we long for them to come to faith in Jesus. We need to pray not for signs, but for hearts to be opened. For hard hearts to be made soft. That eyes would be opened to see the truth and ears would hear what Jesus has to say. And so we see the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're only looking for a way to trap Jesus, as they've already tried to do before. And Jesus gives them short shrift, doesn't he? He takes their demands for a sign and shows that though they can read the signs about the weather, they can read the signs about the sky, that they can't interpret the signs of the times. In other words, they have no idea what's happening right in front of them, right in front of their nose, with the ministry of Jesus. They just don't get it. And Jesus says that a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Now, what is the sign of Jonah? Well, of course, we know, don't we? The story of Jonah, if you were brought up in the church and you went to Sunday school, you know the story of Jonah. Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish. And we remember how uh, Jonah was asked by God to go to Nineveh and to tell the people there who were wicked to repent. But you remember the story how Jonah disobeyed God. He ran completely the other direction. He got a boat on his way to Joppa and he ended up on this boat and there was a storm at sea. And the storm was so great, all the sailors were, were fearing for their life. They were worried they were going to drown. And Jonah realized that this was a sign to him, that he'd made a massive mistake. He'd gone the wrong way. And so he says to the sailors, throw me over the side. Now the sailors really didn't want to, but they threw Jonah over the side and immediately the storm was calmed. And what happened to Jonah? Did he drown? No, he didn't. When he was thrown over the edge, he was swallowed by a whale or a large fish. And he's in the belly of this whale or large fish for three days and nights. Must have been awful before it spat Jonah uh, out. And after he'd been in the, the whale for those three days, three nights, and he'd spent time before God repenting of his ways, he went in obedience to Nineveh to preach to the people and to tell them to repent. So we know the story of Jonah, don't we? Now we know also from Matthew 12 that the sign of Jonah is a picture of what happens with Jesus. Jesus has already explained that. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 that in the same way that Jonah spent three days and nights in the belly of the whale, Jesus is going to spend three days and nights in the heart of the earth. In other words... Jesus is pointing towards the cross. And he's pointing towards the resurrection. So no sign is going to be given on demand to the Pharisees and Sadducees. But something amazing is going to happen with Jesus. He is going to be put to death. But he's also going to rise again. And so the sign of Jonah really is the greatest sign of all. 
Because Jesus' resurrection from the dead would be God's chief sign that Jesus was Israel's long-awaited Messiah. It also established Jesus' claims to, to deity. Because after all, who else rises from the dead? Only God himself can do that. Now, of course, in the Jonah story, Nineveh was known as a place of great wickedness, a place of great sin. And yet the amazing thing in the story is that the people repented. It's amazing, isn't it? Jonah's not very happy about that, incidentally, but they repented. They turned away from their wicked ways, turned towards God. And the question we are left with, as Jesus leaves the Pharisees and Sadducees and goes his own way, is, are they going to repent? As they truly understand who Jesus is, are they going to repent? As they see Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, what will they do? Will they put their faith and trust in Jesus? Or will they continue to go their own way? Because they're more concerned with themselves and their own power that they currently held. And by extension, we're also being asked that question. What are we going to do? When we're confronted with Jesus, as we see his miracles, as we we hear his teaching, and as we see what happens with Jesus dying on the cross and rising again, what are we going to do? You see, often in our lives, we're looking for signs, aren't we? But let's not miss the greatest sign of all. Let's be filled with awe and wonder at this amazing sign that God gives us. Because Jesus dies on the cross as our Savior, and then he rises again on the third day with the promise of life for us. Life eternal, newness of life, life everlasting. Is that not wonderful? Is that not a sign worth rejoicing in? And yet sometimes we come to worship on a Sunday morning. We're so lukewarm. Where Jesus says, look. Look at this sign. Look at what I have done. You see, if this is true, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again on the third day, then we need to respond to that sign as we understand what this points towards Jesus being, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. You see, we know, don't we, how to read the signs of the weather. We know red sky in the morning is shepherd's warning. We know when we can't see Aaron that it's going to rain. But do we understand who Jesus is? And note here in this passage that Jesus left the Pharisees and Sadducees. He didn't force himself upon them. He didn't say, look, I'll do your bidding. These Pharisees and Sadducees had to make up their own mind whether they were going to believe or not. And Jesus doesn't force himself on us. But he longs for us to come to him 
to see who he truly is and to worship him and to worship him alone. And so the question for you this morning as we think about this passage is when you see the sign of Jonah, when you understand what Jesus has done and all that he is, when you look at the cross, when you see the empty tomb, when you understand Jesus is risen, will you come in repentance and faith? Will you come? Or will you hold Jesus at arm's length and say, that's not for me? I'd rather just follow my own way, go my own direction, follow my own signs. Jesus is watching. He's waiting. He longs for you to come to him, to put your faith and trust in him, and to know the joy of your salvation. You see, we're all looking for signs, aren't we, in our life? guidance. Why do we do that? Because often life is difficult. We all have our burdens to bear, don't we? We all have things that are difficult in our lives. But do you know something? Things are much more bearable when I have Jesus in my life. Because Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. There is joy that's found in Jesus, that's found in no one else. So this morning, when you see Jesus, when you understand all that he has done, will you come to him? Will you put your faith in him? And will you rejoice in your salvation? Let's just join together in prayer. Let's pray.